Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I'm going to try really hard not to start this introduction with I'm really excited too, but this is a sweet conversation. Nina Horn is the founder and CEO of Samara Family Services, which is an organization that's focused on building healthy teens and happy families through skill building and mentoring. And she's a public policy expert. She'll talk about some of the multinational things that she negotiated when she worked for the State Department. So she's really a large-scale systems builder. She's an emotional health advocate. And her goal really in life is now to ensure that every teen and young adult has the skills they need to manage difficult times because she is a mom and it changed her and she's been there and back. And then at home, Nina teaches meditation in nature and is a Reiki healer for underserved cancer patients in Oakland, California. But what's even sweeter about this conversation is that in many ways, Nina was somebody I looked up to. I met her at my very first job over 25 years ago and at a she was walking around the Addison Wesley Publishing campus, and I remember thinking, I want to be like her. And so there's something very beautiful about coming full circle and telling someone that you admired like that 25 years later. And so you'll get to hear us say that. And my guess is that you might cry on this one, so get out the tissues. Nina Horn, I am, um, can I tell you something really funny about you? I'm excited to hear it. (laughs) First of all, I just invited you straight from heart. I'm like, oh, Nina has something to offer us and I want her to come on. But for everyone listening, I met you in my very first job out of college. I hear the tenderness in your voice. It's very sweet. And you were aspirational for me. Mm. I mean, we both have long blonde hair. There was something about your relationship with your sister. I'm like, oh, I want to be like her. Oh, wow. Tracy, thank you for your vulnerability. Yeah. And also like the sweetness of the passage of decades and how our memories sustain us over time and how we find meaning in relationships. I'm, (laughs) I had no idea that you were having. (laughs) 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 When When we reconnected a few years ago, I was just so delighted and I just had these very uh, sweet memories of you in your first job. And I just, was very um, taken um, when we first met by your enthusiasm and your persistence and your just 
exuberant positivity. You were always just this bright light. So, yeah, we all touch each other, right? Whether we not. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. So you, in my mind, are a natural connector, but, but bring us into kind of help us land a little bit with you about who you are, all the, all the things that shape you and what you do in the world and that shape how you're a connector. That's a sweet question. Um, and, you know, as we age, we just accumulate lifetimes. So I feel like I've had multiple lifetimes. Um, I think I was steeped in an environment in the deep South um, where connection is just part of the culture. I grew up and spent my first two decades in South Carolina, um, growing up in an undergraduate. Uh, and hospitality is the word that a lot of people associate with uh, with the South, um, among other things, like every place there's strengths and weaknesses and good and bad. But um, it, growing up in the South really taught me that there are no strangers. And when I moved to California after I graduated college, um, I was that person in the um, post office line who would talk to everybody. And it took me, <laughs> <laughs> it took me for a, a few years uh, to realize that like people in the, in the grocery store line may not want to chat with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I do think their, you know, early experiences and acculturation are strong determinants over a lifetime. And I'm also an extrovert. So that just naturally, so I find my connection and my, my energy, uh, interacting with others. And I have a really strong curiosity, um, just innate curiosity. I think this is a really wonderful quality of, I just really want to know about people. Um, and I figure if I leave a, a conversation and I'm haven't found something interesting, then I didn't ask the right questions. Um, and then I spent my first couple of decades in my work life uh, in academic publishing. And my first job was, like you, out of undergrad, um, a sales rep position, uh, which was the entry-level position in the industry. And um, it was incredible training of, you know, getting the, the courage up to go knock on the door um, and you, you've never met the person behind the door and then how to initiate a conversation. So it was a lot of skill development around finding connection and um, finding quick ways into understanding what matters to that person and then finding ways to resonate with that. So it was really wonderful training. And I felt really grateful to have the experience for a couple of decades of just uh, traveling across the country, meeting people and building networks and understanding how um, connections to and three and four people out can really be productive interpersonally, professionally, and especially if you have values of connection, it's just very enriching. And then <clears throat> when my daughter was born, I chose to leave the industry and focus on um, helping make the world a better place. I got really interested in public policy issues and became a city commissioner for Oakland. 
and then spent about six months doing that and realized I didn't know how to make good decisions on public policy issues and went back to graduate school and ended up working for the UN and a couple of White Houses and the Environmental Protection Agency and the State Department and ultimately um, landed at representing the US and negotiating with other nations. And so all through that process, I learned how important it is to both really express your values so that you can build trust quickly with people who might be skeptical or even um, doubting of your position or, or what you're trying to make happen. So um, how to express um, my inner values clearly to other people so that they can see that we're on the same page was a skill that I found really quite helpful. And then um, really just focusing on what the motivations for the other people in professional engagement were so that I could understand, you know, what are they trying to make happen and how can I help them do that? And where's the overlap with what I'm trying to make happen? And I do believe that was one skill that was super helpful for me when I was negotiating with other nations. And it's the same skill that you use when you're negotiating with a toddler and negotiating with uh, <laughs> in the hall. <laughs> and um, yeah, and trying to get your needs met uh, as you navigate the world. So um, I feel grateful that connection matters to me and um, that I've had a lifetime of cultivating it across mm -hmm. a bunch of different kinds of people. I think that's the thing I like best about being curious is I know many different kinds of people and I feel really humbled and grateful for that and um, felt like it was one of the greatest experiences I had when I was a city commissioner. I got to go to almost every school in a city of uh, 400,000 folks and serving uh, 40,000 school-aged kids. And um, it was just wonderful to really feel the presence and the value of every single person that I connected with. So that's very humbling to me. Mm. Mm. I find it beautiful that you're so, um, you're a natural connector, and yet at some point you had the humility to say, I'm not a good decision maker. Oh. <laughs> well, well, there's a story there. I can already hear it. <laughs> that, isn't that the gift of getting older is to transform, you know, or richen our self-confidence, our abilities, and then recognize, oh, what are our weaknesses? Where can I grow? Where can I learn? And to, and you know, there's always a, a push-pull with this, right? You, you want to be able to continue learning and growing. I want to continue learning and growing in ways that deepen my experience the a life of meaning and engagement with others and um and yeah hold it with compassion right it's not 
self-criticism. It's not the inner critic. It's the, how do I continue to learn and grow? And so, you know, it's, this is kind of a basic management technique is, you know, learning what your strengths and weaknesses are and either, you know, uh, learn or hire for your weaknesses. Um, that's how you get more capable. And so I do also feel really grateful to have a lot of intellectual curiosity. So when I am confronted with a uh, something that I don't understand, I really dig into um, really work from a very basic level to understand it. Uh, the example that's coming to mind right now is when I was in graduate school getting a public policy degree, uh, we had to get an internship. And so I knew I wanted to work on international issues. And so I looked at what the State Department was working on. And they were working on 96 projects at that point, And I picked the hardest, scariest thing to work on. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And um, which was nanomaterial regulation around the globe and ended up, um, you know, studying chemistry and physics and toxicology in graduate school. So I could really understand how to make um, better decisions about how to protect humans and the environment from chemical exposure. So, yeah, knowing what our weaknesses are and not uh, not being afraid to uh, unpack our blind spots is a really wonderful place for self-revelation and evolution. Mm. It's so beautiful. And I'm hearing this, on the one hand, this quality that's so natural in you mm. to be a connector. Mm. And then I'm also wanting to learn from you this, this question for those of us that maybe it's not as natural for or folks that are listening who it's not a natural proclivity for, they'd say, why bother? Like what's, what's, what's important in connecting when it's with our toddler or negotiating things with other countries or thinking about the environment? What, why is this connection thing even important? And I'm just, no pressure, but I, I, have, I imagine you have something insightful to offer us all to chew on together. You are so sweet. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is this um, author that I love dearly, who um, David Foster Wallace, who um, wrote a number of books, but he gave this really remarkable uh, graduation speech at Kenyon College about a decade ago. And he unfortunately ended his life a few years ago. It was a tragic loss for us. And um, his speech was recognized as one of the top five graduation speeches of all time. It's just remarkably tender and skillful. And he speaks, uh, the title is, um, This is Water. And essentially, he, the story is two fish are swimming along and, you know, wondering where they are and what's going on. And then this older, bigger fish comes along and says, can't you see you're in water? And they're like, what is water? So when you ask that question, my first response is, it feels so innate that um, I feel like it's, what is water? How can I even say what is valuable about connecting with others because it's so much a part of me? And so thank you for the opportunity to unpack this. And then, um, you know, humans are social creatures. And um, for people who do not think of 
connecting with us others as a natural way of being, um, I see that there's a continuum of people who are um, social and others who are less social. And, you know, sometimes when functioning becomes an impediment, you can look at, okay, how do we name the ways people engage socially? And sometimes folks are introverted, which means they get their energy from being quiet and um, having downtime with just alone time rather than getting energized with other people. And so that might be a reason that if folks have difficulty or less interest in connecting with others. And then there's the condition of being shy, which is a, a social uh, function where folks feel sometimes inhibited uh, by being near people uh, and feel somewhat afraid of that. And so that might be another reason someone is afraid to or disinclined to connect with others. And then, um, then there's social anxiety, which is when um, people are disinclined to connect with others and it impedes their functioning in some way. So it makes them aversive to going to professional or social environments or gatherings. And so um, first I want to start with understanding the continuum of where people are. It might be a preference. It, there might be a, a deeper reason why connection doesn't seem natural. And I want to normalize that in all of these things that I've discussed. No one is broken. Each person is whole and valid and real just as they are. And so um, having named all that, um, for me, my belief of why connection matters is it feeds me personally um, because I'm an extrovert. It helps me grow beyond who I am. I, you know, I just feel so fascinated by people I um, am, have had experiences in the last few years where I've very intentionally started reaching out to a bunch of different kinds of people. And sometimes I feel like a cultural anthropologist where I'm just amazed and fascinated by the human condition and just how many different ways it's possible to be human. And so I find that very touching and tender to be present to how different people live and what matters to them and how they make choices about who they are and how they navigate the world. So that benefit for me is just curiosity and um, expanding my own definition of how I understand the world to be. And then, of course, there's just these basic human needs of, um, you know, reaching out for emotional or social support as, um, as a basis for safety and security in the environment. Uh, this past weekend, I had a really bad cold and it was so sweet. I had um, three friends come over and bring me food. And on, on Sunday afternoon, I had two people competing to see who could bring me a cup of hot tea. And it was really laughable and it was also super tender and very sweet. And I got really teary at one point just saying, thank you, thank you. I feel so grateful. And so 
connection can bring so many different gifts. And, you know, for people to understand how they choose to navigate the world, and if there's an impediment to that, looking at that, understanding why, and then um, building the skills to just be able to do it. And it's, you know, like many things in life, uh, learning how to connect and learning how to um, reach out to folks and learning how to build authentic connection and interaction is a skill, just like everything else. I love that you're saying that because I was just talking to another sidewalk talk leader about it being a practice, much like mindfulness is a practice. If you value it and you know it brings value to your life, then you treat it as a practice that you can get better at and you're highlighting that. But I want to reflect something. Sweet and what you'd said, because I think there's some, some wisdom here. And I'll tell you what came over me. You said, it doesn't matter what your proclivity is, if you're shy or you're an introvert, you don't have to be like me. And then you said, because no one is broken, you said everybody is whole. And when you said that, mm. my whole body went, ah. And then I smiled. I think my face smiled. I think my body smiled. I think my toes smiled at you when you said that. Yeah. And what I think you're offering all of us that are listening right now is a skill when you say that, that Nina Horn walks around this planet saying you are whole and I am listening to you as the whole perfect being that you are. And that's what I see. That's what I'm looking for, no matter how hard things might be for you. And I have to imagine that people's reaction to you is they want to bring you cups of hot tea when you're sick because of that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, there's something. So, Nina, imagine, I, I'm just curious. I'm going to make a bunch of bizarre links right now because I'm just going to go for it because I love to get all... I could you know, so much sociopolitical. Um, you know, so you believe ferociously in humanity and the environment and politics. What would be different about our environment, about our politics, if we were all walking around the world like that? Yes. So, of people. Yes. So I want to start with where your body and your toenails felt happy. And <laughs> um, every single human wants to be seen and met. That is the basic human experience. And so the greatest gift that we can give to one another and Certainly the first person who gives it to a human is hopefully the mother from the very earliest moments is validation. You are whole. You are seen. I value you. There's just this beautiful body of work of the, the messages that skillful mothers send. I adore it. And I first discovered it in this book, um, The Emotionally Absent Mother. Um, but it's really based on an extension of Jung's work on messages that good mothers and good fathers send. And so um, Jasmine Corey is the author and, 
a therapist outside of Boulder, and she um, delineates 10 messages that good mothers send. And they're basically, I categorize them into three main groups, which is one, unconditional love. Two, um, mirroring and seeing the child as they are and celebrating that child and the celebration and delight in those gifts. And so there's a reason we all feel calm when we hear a phrase like, you are okay, you are whole. It's because we see, feel seen and validated. And so that is a foundational tool for both self-acceptance and accepting other people. And when we feel this deeply in our bodies, we can invite others into a place of really deep safety and connection. And so I've been speaking from my heart and from my spirit. And then in these last few minutes, and I can move to, you know, the intellectual. Um, I basically, the first organization, national organization that I created uh, in the early 2000s was built around this. And so I can move into my head, but I really want to stay right now in my heart, in my body. Uh, what it feels like to be validated. Uh, I was giving a talk at the California State PTA convention earlier this summer, and I um, walked the moms through an exercise of imagining how to move construction constructively past conflict with their teens or their younger children. And so I had them. Um, pair up and then um, close their eyes and then just reflect on, think of a, a situation in the last two days where you were in, you know, trying to get your child to do something and you wanted something to happen. And um, now I want you to pretend the person you're talking to is your child. And I had them say the first sentence of the fight. Mm -hmm. And then I said, now I want you to pause and I want you to feel what that feels like in your body. Mm -hmm. And you could just see the whole room, you know, everybody starts getting restless and, you know, there's a lot of noise because some people are laughing and some people are getting angry and they're all moms. I said, and now I want you to soothe your heart and your body by coaching yourself over the next minute. We're just going to have a quiet minute of I'm okay. Everything's okay. I can talk through this. And you could feel their bodies get calmer. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that minute, I said, now what would it be like if you started the conversation from this place? You could just hear the gasps in the room of like, oh yeah. So I do believe in embodiment. I do believe in the truth of the body understanding what physical and emotional safety are as a precursor to um, being vulnerable and being able to connect with others in a deeply relational way 
and and to move past fear into connection. And I'll add one extra um, thought here, um, what it means to be relational. <laughs> just one, just one extra thought. <laughs> you know, I spent my, I, so I was a psychology major in undergrad. I just always love, you know, understanding. That does not surprise me. I know, right, totally. Uh, my favorite class was animal behavior because I just thought it was so interesting, like the lessons we could learn from animals and how they applied to humans. But I always felt like it was really important for me to communicate to other people um, from very early on. And so I spent most of my life believing that communication, effective communication, was me working really hard to find exactly the right word to express what I was trying to say. It was totally shocking to me. Oh, I don't know, maybe about eight years ago, um, maybe 10 years ago, to be um, introduced to the idea of relationality, which is how we create shared meaning together. Hmm. And, you know, I could talk till I'm blue in the face, try and find the exact right word to communicate how I feel or what I'm thinking. And it doesn't matter at all. What really matters is are the way that my body and my energy and my face and my words and my tone and my attention, is it connecting with the other person so that they can understand and also come and share the same with me? We are co-creating language on a bunch of different levels. And only when we are creating that shared meaning are we actually communicating. So what did you have to unlearn and what did you have to learn to be able to step into this kind of relationality? Well, first I had to unlearn um, anxiety. Um, And my family legacy, like many, many family legacies, is um, anxiety. A really common thing in uh, American culture, and certainly really increasing given societal disparities and income pressures, and you know the kids that we're growing now, teens, uh, you know Generation Z, Gen Z are just really, really bearing the brunt of family, you know, many generations of family legacy of anxiety. And so um, my wake-up call was a series of panic attacks when I was traveling in Bali internationally. And it took a couple of years for me to, you know, I started with yoga and with meditation and was quite serious about it from the very get-go. But um, it took me a while to find really effective somatically-based therapies, um, EMDR, Um, was particularly profoundly helpful for me. And so um, I like to say um, after my wake-up call of I can't live like this anymore, it took me about a decade to unwind the negative before I could begin to spend the next decade cultivating the positive. And so um, coming into awareness of the ways that my my ways of being around um, being anxious, being controlling, 
you know, all the behaviors that I had learned all through my life, the coping mechanisms that I used to try to um, feel calm in my body were not so successful. And how do I build new, uh, new skills to, to learn new ways of being? So once I really eliminated a lot of, you know, it's been a long time doing the work to unwind a lot of that stuff. I was able to get to a ground in my body and in my ways of being where I could be really present to the current moment without being caught in either the future of thinking and planning or in the past of remembering and trying to fix, but really just present. And there are many layers to that. I continue to uncover it. (laughs) (laughs) Raising my, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I used to always use this analogy of like, you know, the work is like an onion and you unpeel the layers and you just keep finding you're working with the same material. It's just at a different level. And um, I always used to joke that the layers get thinner. Um, and then <laughs> years ago, I was cutting an onion and I noticed the layers get thicker. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's right. It gets more intense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's remarkable. I was uh, assisting with a, a weekend long dance workshop um dance has been a profoundly helpful tool conscious dance for the last decade a very dedicated practice of mine um for becoming um more deeply embodied and um and really aware of my body and how sensations arise and how those sensations give meaning to um feeling and then emotion mm. And so that uh, that practice really allowed me to become much more um, present and grounded in my body and non-reactive. Um, but I was uh, assisting with a weekend dance workshop a few weeks ago and just really aware of um, how people check out. And, you know, the technical term, the clinical term is dissociate. Mm-hmm when we um, become more present to what's happening in our minds than what's happening in the current moment. And it happens all day long for us. Oh, I had one of those days today, girl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And at a certain point, I mean, there are times when I will take, you know, I'll be in the office and it's, you know, super intense and, you know, three hours will go by and it's flow state in some ways, but it's also like completely not present. So I'll go out and, you know, we have this practice in the office where we'll go and we'll walk down to um, the mailbox and we'll rub leaves and we'll, you know, rub tree, tree trunks, like whatever you can do physically, mm-hmm. come back very deeply into mm-hmm. the current moment. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, that process was really how I was able to come into a place of safety in my own body. Mm-hmm. And people really can feel that. Um, you know, I think my toes just did. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, a place of deep connection. One of the things that I do that's really important to me is I volunteer as an energy healer for cancer patients deeply under. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I've been practicing for a number of years now. And 
uh, you know, each session will be an hour long and uh, the women that I serve are generally stage three and stage four cancer. And so, you know, just really in a lot of deep physical trauma. And it's so beautiful to watch them come into the room and I create a peaceful environment that just feels very calm with music and scent and lighting and then my own body mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just see them relax. Mm. And it's a great gift to be able to model for someone what physical safety feels mm. like. So I feel really grateful to have gotten there. You know, when I reflect that a quarter century ago, you know, I couldn't stop panic attacks for about two years. I just really see the value of the work. Hmm. I am just taking in so much and I'm, I'm listening to you and then I'm listening to our listeners at the same time. And I'm imagining that there's a sidewalk talk volunteer and then I'm imagining them sitting on the sidewalk and they take some of these pearls that you've shared with us, right? Out to the sidewalk. Number one, this this piece around embodiment, which is a big part of our training. It's a part of our core curriculum. And I just wanna, to, for those of you, Nina used a phrase, uh, acronym called the EMDR, it's something I'm trained in. I just wanna tell you what it is. It's eye movement desensitization reprocessing it's for the nervous system and for trauma and you can google emdr is what she'd said but the way in which i hear you embodying wholeness and validation for yourself right and all the ways that you take care of that through your dance through these beautiful friendships that you have through the way that you serve your community, something you didn't say, but I know is true about you, through the way that you mother, right? Yeah. And then you take that out into the world and it models something. Mm. I mean, I I imagine that part of what I experienced with you the first time I met you, I mean, you were already in the beginning stages of of all of that, although I will say that when I met you two years ago, again, my experience of you that was different was an, an immensely larger quantity of joy from you. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, well, I always liked Nina, but now she's like kind of, she's got like little laser light beams coming out of her head. <laughs> My client name is Radiance and I really try to embody that. Yeah, it's funny what happens when you like, well, there's, uh, when you take out all of the, the fear and the anxiety right like um there's this beautiful analogy um in the buddhist tradition you frequently you will notice the lotus flower in in representational art and the buddha um, pointed to the teaching of the lotus flower of no mud no lotus so lotus flowers grow in mud and from so the analogy is from difficulty arises the flourishing of a, a human heart and so yeah i had a lot of mud early on but i worked really hard to understand it and of course the work continues 
um, but I had, and I have the benefit of a lot of very intensive work that was given to me, shared with me from extremely skillful practitioners. And yeah, mothering was part of that. Um, I feel very grateful to have ushered my own daughter um, through um, depression and anxiety, and she's flourishing now. Um, but it was a really scary path for a number of years during her teen years. And so I feel grateful to have emerged from the other side into joyful, radiant light. Mm -hmm. I feel teary saying that. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I had been a kind person before, but uh, when people move through profound difficulty, compassion emerges in profound ways. Mm -hmm. so I just feel like I have, I'm not afraid to be present to very deep crisis in others anymore because mm -hmm. I know what the blackness looks like. And I know it's possible to find the light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, I'm aware that we've kind of come to our time here, but I want to reflect something that you just said, which is that in addition to your own practice, that you had wise teachers, mm. and now you pay that forward. Yeah. And that there is something so profound that happens when we do our own growth work and we're held by others doing that work, that we impact the world. Yes, my final thought will be um, something that my dad, who was a, my, both my parents are really remarkable people and my dad was a, a basketball coach and an athletic director and he, when he died, more than a thousand people came to his funeral. So he Aww. was a, a lot of people and he would tell his players college basketball athletes when things got hard um, we called it the finest horn plan get a good night's sleep wake up and get clean um, have a hard day's work get some exercise and the last thing was do something for someone else hmm. that is so sweet yeah good way to live it's a good way to live. So one last parting piece, which is if there was a wish or, and he may have already offered the wisdom, but if you wanted to speak directly to the 7,000 listeners around the world, a wish or a prayer or a piece of wisdom from you to them, what might you offer those sidewalk talk listeners? You know, I am very teary when I hear you say that because what and I am seeing is 7,000 bright lights walking through the world who have done enough work to know themselves and to feel deeply committed to reaching out to other people mm -hmm. and who have enough practice around reaching beyond their own fears, reaching beyond their own inhibitions to offer support and kindness 
and vulnerability and realness to even just one other human. And so I, the image that's coming to mind is the world with just these bright lights walking through on the face of the earth. And so what wisdom would I have for someone like that? I just have gratitude mm -hmm. that they are present to the gifts they can share. And I just say thank you. Thank you, Nina. I knew we were going to have a nice time together. Yeah, I just thank you so much for what you do. It's so beautiful that you've given people a way to make such a difference. Thank you for pointing the way for others. Hmm. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of